Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. Anybody joining for the first time tonight? Welcome. Anybody joining at home for the first time? Welcome to you. I like to begin by um, thinking of some sort of topic for you to communicate with each other about and kind of have a few minutes of meeting some people in the room and talking to each other. And I believe that it's really a core function of Buddhism to, to develop community. And um, it's one of the ways that I'm trying to help facilitate you building community outside of just learning the meditation and the teachings, but actually learning to meet each other and, and maybe make some friendships and connections. Last week, I talked about the, the Buddha's teaching on the importance of friendship and uh, the central place that relationships are in our life and, and on our spiritual path life. Tonight, I'm going to talk about um, how meditation works, why meditation works, the process of um, awakening and, and transformation, developing of wisdom that happens when, when we practice meditation um, correctly, appropriately. Um, so I don't really have a great topic associated with that. Maybe the, the question that I'll pro propose for you to meet each other and talk about is, uh, uh, why do you meditate? What are you looking for? What are you hoping to develop, uncover, experience through meditation? What is the, I guess, the aspiration? And um, my own mind is that usually there's uh, one of two schools. There's a meditation for relaxation, for uh, an experience, meditating to when I meditate, I have this experience, I like that experience, so I meditate for that experience of, of meditation, which is becoming relaxed or maybe um, your mind maybe slows down a little bit or you experience a little bit of peace. Or, so do you meditate for the experience of the meditation? Or, um, you know, like for an altered state. You know, is your meditation practice like your kind of altered state? Or are you meditating to alter the traits? To, are you actually looking for a transformation? Not just a experience in meditation, but meditation leading to altering the level of compassion that we have. The level of kindness, the level of non-attachment, of wisdom. Um, equanimity, the, 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 a peacefulness that's not just based in the meditative experience, but that we can live into more um, consistently in our life. So a lot of people, I think, come to meditation with uh, seeking altered states. I just want to get high as fuck meditating. I want to get super peaceful. I'm going to get all Zen. Um, and then some people, I think that's often a doorway. And then uh, some people decide, actually, I want more than 
an experience. I want transformation. I want to experience life, see it differently, more clearly. And, and of course, this is the Buddhist teaching and what I'm going to talk about tonight, how Buddhist meditation leads to transformation and not just an altered state. So find some, try, try to talk to somebody you haven't talked to before. Find some people in the room that you don't know yet and, and introduce yourself. And at home, I'll put you into these breakout rooms and introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your meditative experience and your aspiration for meditation, why you're, why you're practicing. Welcome back. I hope that was enough time for people to talk to each other a little bit. In the Eightfold Path, the original formula of the Buddha's teachings really only gives uh, one meditation technique. Uh, he talks about both mindfulness and concentration. Um, but mindfulness, what we call vipassana, insight meditation, the four foundations of mindfulness, is the main technique that the Buddha offers um, as the path to awakening. And the way that the Four Noble Truths are set up is if you want to free yourself from suffering, if you want to experience happiness and ease and, and liberation, here's, here's what we can do about it. And here's the eight areas of our life to, um, to look at, how we understand things, how we, what our intentions are, how we communicate, how we behave, how we earn money, how we spend money. Um, and the necessity of mindfulness, the seventh factor, our core meditation practice, mindfulness. So I'll give the, the mindfulness meditation instructions, the four foundations, and then we'll talk about how they work and why they work and how slow it works, <laughs> how it's so gradual, the, the process that we're doing. Um, so find a way to sit that's upright, relaxed for a period of about 30 minutes of sitting meditation. The first instruction is find a way to sit that's upright and relaxed. So make adjustments to your body so that you're in a posture where your spine is straight without being rigid. And the rest of your body is relaxed, softening the eyes, the jaw, the belly. And we establish mindfulness which is present time non-judgmental awareness bringing our awareness to what's happening right now without any judgment of it's good or bad just 
accepting what's happening. And it's so helpful to bring an attitude of friendliness, of kindness. The intention to be patient, tolerant, accepting of our experience just as it is, not not turning meditation into another thing that we fail at. And the first foundation of mindfulness is present time, non-judgmental, kind awareness of the body. So bring your full attention to your physical body. Feel the way that it contacts with the chair, the cushion, the sensations created by sitting. Feel the sensation of how your hands are resting in your lap or on your legs. Feel, receive the sensation of the clothing against your skin and how each breath rises and falls, expands and contracts the belly, the torso, the chest. Often we choose to place our attention on the breath as the primary object, concentrating our attention, gathering, focusing, choosing to pay attention to the breath and to let all of the other sensations, all of the other experiences, including the thoughts and sounds, be in the background. We'll spend a few minutes practicing the eighth factor of the path, concentrating on the breath. This doesn't have to take a lot of effort, just choosing to make the breath your primary object of awareness. Breathing in, know that you're breathing in. Breathing out, know that you're breathing out. Feel the sensations of the breath. When the attention is drawn away from the breath, 
choose to return, come back to the breath over and over, just for the first few minutes. not your fault that the attention doesn't stay put. It's the nature of the mind to wander, awareness getting drawn back into thinking about the future, the past, fantasy. Part of our discipline, our effort is to choose to return, disengage from the contents of the mind Come back to the sensation of sitting. Feel your hands resting. And return to the breath.
you're brand new to this kind of meditation, you can continue to focus your attention on the breath. It's foundational. The Buddha's encouragement is to become more inclusive of our experience, to not have the narrow focus, to become mindful again of the whole body sitting. And opening to the second foundation of mindfulness, which is the feeling tone of our experience. What we perceive as pleasant, unpleasant or neutral. So even the breath itself, does it feel pleasant to breathe in and out or neutral? or unpleasant. The contact of your hands, the sensations created by them resting in your lap on your legs. What's the feeling tone of that contact? Is it pleasant or unpleasant? We investigate. Feeling of your body sitting on the chair, on the cushion. Perhaps some, the, some places in your body that are uncomfortable, that are unpleasant. Non-judgmental, kind awareness directed directly towards the pain discomfort. The other teachings here in the first foundation, second foundation is to experience the body as the four elements. To know the earth element in the contact, the bones. To know, to be mindful of the air element with each breath. And the heat, the fire, temperature. If you're in this room with the air conditioning on, investigate. Is it pleasant or unpleasant or neutral? Does your experience warmth or coolness? experiencing the body 
as the water element. The majority of this body is fluid. Feeling the heart beating, the saliva in the mouth, moisture in the eyes. Open to the sense doors, open to the mind rather than ignoring the mind, become inclusive of your whole present time experience. Sensations in the body, sounds, smell, taste, sight, even with the eyes closed, some sense of seeing, color, shape, light. Mindfulness of the sense doors and the feeling tone, is there pleasant or unpleasant or neutral associated with the sounds? with the sensations, with the smell. As we open to the mind, a third foundation, observing your mind, mindfulness of how thoughts arise and pass. Each thought that enters our awareness has a feeling tone, pleasant thought, unpleasant thought, neutral thought.
quality of investigation or inquiry, what's happening right now in your body, in your heart, your mind? And how does it feel? What is pleasant and what is unpleasant? Not judging it as good or bad, just seeing it clearly. And this is a painful thought or emotion or sensation. As we learn to accept our pain, to turn towards it. And this is a pleasant emotion, mind state, sensation, sound. fourth foundation, we open to the truth of our experience. When we're meeting what's happening with clinging or aversion, we become mindful, this is suffering. This is that layer of suffering that the Buddha was talking about, the first noble truth, resisting, clinging, craving. Becoming mindful, craving, tendency of my mind is like this, telling these kind of stories, these fears. And at times you will see become mindful of positive qualities, tranquility, joy. It's like this, quite pleasant. The mind feeling very concentrated, very present. easy to direct, to investigate. The Buddha spoke about as the factors of awakening, the qualities of when the mind is more awake, more joy, more rapture, sense of happiness that can coexist even with discomfort even with painful sensations in the body.
present time, non-judgmental, kind awareness of the human condition. The body, the heart, the mind, the craving, the aversion, the afflictive emotions, the positive emotions. As you hear the bell and you open your eyes, stretch or whatever feels good to you, uh, don't stop meditating. If you know what I mean by that, like don't, don't let mindfulness be like, oh, well, when my eyes are closed and I'm inward, that's mindfulness. Just what we were doing in the sitting now, awareness of seeing, awareness of sensation, maybe feeling how pleasant it is to not sit still and to be able to stretch and move. Continue, the intention of mindfulness is to bring it into, off of the cushion into all of our activities of our life. Actually, in the, in the mindfulness teachings, the Buddha says, four formal meditation postures, sitting, walking, standing, laying down, that you can formally train your mind to be mindful while walking while sitting, while standing, while reclining, laying down. It is, and you can bring this awareness to every activity of the body, every, every aspect of your life, every activity, so that it's not, I'm only mindful when I'm sitting still. I'm trying to develop this skill of mindfulness to bring into every aspect of my life. mindful listening. And that second foundation of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, the more we can orient our uh, experience and, and how we perceive things rather than as good or bad, we, we call mindfulness non-judgmental non-judgmental present time awareness because we're not judging anything as like well this is a good experience this is a bad experience the non-judgment is this is painful no judgment about that it's painful but my perception is ouch or this is really pleasant doesn't mean it's necessarily good but my perception is this is really feels pleasant physically, emotionally. Uh, and again, we do that. We can train our minds informally in the meditation. But the encouragement is, you know, think about when you go through your life. Uh, when you're, Next time you're stuck in traffic. 
of just saying, oh, this is unpleasant. I feel the craving, I feel the aversion, I feel the just unpleasant rather than really bad traffic. This is terrible. Or next time you hurt yourself, next time you, you know, hit your elbow against something or stub your toe or I don't know. Of just rather than, oh, this is fucking terrible, just unpleasant pain is like this. And it's a huge function of um, what we're doing, mindfulness. Why are we doing mindfulness? And this is a refresher for probably most of you, but I wanted to do a kind of overview 101 reminder. Some of you maybe are new to this perspective and it's important to, to know um, the function of mindfulness and how it works and, uh, and why we're doing it and what we're looking for in our, in our practice. And as I started, the, there's a huge uh, promise here. You know, Buddhism is this path that says, if you follow this path, you don't have to suffer anymore. And maybe suffering sounds extreme, but actually you don't have to be unhappy. You don't have to... Um, struggle. You don't have to uh, have stress. You don't have to be stressed about what's happening. That mindfulness has the potential, the whole eightfold path, but the meditative discipline of mindfulness to lead to transformational internal skills, wisdom from within that the meditation teaches us, unlocks, that helps us navigate no matter when this uh, the end of suffering that Buddhism promises is in the midst of the reality of your life, in the midst of samsara, we call the human realm samsara, in the midst of this world of ignorance and confusion and greed and hatred and delusion, that it's possible to have such a radical internal shift that we don't suffer at the world or about the world or about what's happening directly in our lives. I love that simple uh, formula that says, you know, this practice has the, the potential to bring you to the understanding and the ability to live into knowing and responding wisely that it's not what's happening in our lives. It's how we're responding to what's happening in our lives that creates happiness or unhappiness, suffering or freedom from suffering. It's not about what's happening. The worst shit could happen. And with a deeply transformed, mindful approach to it, you could not suffer about the worst, most painful, unpleasant tragedy. You could not suffer about it. It's, that's, that's the teaching. That's the very high promise of, of Buddhism. So we develop present time awareness of the body. It's said we start with the body and in a couple of different places, the Buddha says 
all of the Dharma, this term Dharma, which means truth, liberating truth. It's also sometimes used as the, the teachings, the awakened teachings, the Four Noble Truths are the Dharma. Nirvana is the Dharma, it's the teaching. It's said that all of the Dharma will be revealed right here in your own body. Everything that you're looking for, all of the happiness, all of the freedom, all of the compassion and wisdom that you're looking for, not out there, not in the books, not in the teachings, not in the right here in your body. Does that seem true? Everything that we're looking for internal, no external, no external salvation. You know, Buddhism doesn't have higher powers or sort of any of that stuff. Internal. In you, all of the truth will be revealed. And that's why we have mindfulness. Mindfulness is pay attention to your body. And your body will teach you about what is true about reality. and how to respond to reality in a way that eradicates or minimizes suffering about it and increases and our ability to be at ease in the midst of whatever's happening. All of that right here in our own body. The first thing that the body reveals, and we start with the meditation and we pay attention to our breath, our body, and is the truth of impermanence. The Buddhist term is anicca. And as you pay attention to your body, what do you see? What do you experience? And pay attention to your breath. The body breathing, the body sitting, constantly changing sensation. The arising and passing of the breath the arising and passing of sensation. Now, you know that we all, it's like, so, duh. <laughs> oh, everything's impermanent, fucking duh. We all know that, right? Because that's not news to any of us, probably, some level or another. But we're not very good at navigating impermanence because we live with this, um, you know, we see the impermanence, but then what else do you see in the body? I see like, okay, yeah, there's these impermanent painful sensations, but there's also this resistance to these impermanent painful sensations. There's aversion, there's anger, there's fear of pain. And I know it's impermanent, but it doesn't make me not hate it. And it doesn't, just because I know it's impermanent doesn't mean like I'm cool with it when it's painful. But the more we meditate, the more we direct our awareness to really seeing the impermanence, it does become um, 
a liberating experience to know, to really deeply know. And we talk about the difference between knowledge, knowing, or an intellectualized uh, idea. Like I, I theoretically, I know everything's impermanent, but the more we meditate, the more it goes from knowledge to wisdom, to what we call insight, where we see it, we uh, embody it more, we come to live more, um, I guess, in harmony, accepting it and seeing like, yeah, there's all of these sensations and some of them are pleasant, some of them are unpleasant, some of them are neutral. And we become more tolerant of like, okay, yep, it's painful, but it'll change. Do you remember the first time, maybe you haven't had this experience, but you probably will. You were meditating and something painful was happening. And there was that feeling, that aversion, that like, I got to move away from this pain. But you decided, I'll just sit with it my knee is aching or my ass hurts or my neck is sore or whatever. And, and rather than doing something about it, you're sitting there and the peer pressure of sitting in the group, <laughs> like, okay, I'm just going to sit here. And then like within a minute or two, the pain is gone. Even though a couple of minutes ago, your mind was like, no, you got to fucking do something about this pain. You're not allowed to just sit here. You need to shift your knee. You need to stretch your neck. You need to fidget. You should fucking fidget. And then you're just say, okay, I'm, I don't feel like sitting here, but I'm going to sit here. And then that really uncomfortable, painful sensation goes away all by itself. And the more you meditate on the body and you have that experience, the more you start to have that insight into, oh, it will pass not just theoretically, like literally it will pass if I just sit here. And the pain in my knee is not there anymore. And it was really hurt a few minutes ago. Now it's fine. Or, and some, sometimes change, sometimes the impermanence, it's not always liberating. Sometimes uh, you say like, oh, well, it's yep, kind of throbbing. Oh, now it's stabbing, changed, impermanent. Uh, now it's kind of tearing, yep, impermanence. Now it's burning, hot burning. Oh, now it's cold burning. You know, it's like it, does, it doesn't always just go away, but if you pay attention to it, you see it's changing. It's constantly changing. So mindfulness leading to the insight into the impermanent nature of things. And the second foundation of mindfulness is the more we investigate pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, all unpleasant things that are happening here in this heart, in this mind, in this body, impermanent. All things that are happening in this human experience are perceived as pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. And then we see really clearly, and my tendency, and we take it personal in the beginning, the human tendency, and right, this is the Buddha's second noble truth, is to cling. Impermanence wouldn't be a problem if we weren't so clingy. 
if we weren't so if we didn't have so much craving for permanence and aversion and tanha that second noble truth the cause of our human unhappiness is craving and clinging and aversion so mindfulness we see it in real time not theoretically here i am craving for this pain to go away and making it worse here i am hating this emotion that has arisen this loneliness this sadness this worry whatever it is and meeting it with a craving for it to be different than it is not acceptance like if you are sitting here and you feel lonely you feel sad or you feel worried or you feel angry and you just meet it with total non-judgmental acceptance compassionate uh friendliness no problem just sadness just loneliness just worry but we don't meet it that way we meet it with I fucking hate you. Go away. I don't want to feel this. I feel aversion to it. Or the flip side, something really pleasant happens. I hope you've been having some pleasant experiences in your meditation. Sometimes it takes a while. You, have, you will if you keep meditating. You have really peaceful, really pleasant. And then you'll see in real time attachment, clinging, craving, I want to feel like this. I want this shit to last. I got a moment of peace. I don't want to fucking take it hostage. I want to keep it. But then it passes. And then the grief, the craving, the... So many people report, and I've had this experience myself some too, of like you have a really pleasant meditation and maybe a really, maybe really insightful and... Um, and then you spend months or years trying to reproduce that pleasant meditation. It's a little bit like your first bong hit. <laughs> it was so good in the beginning before smoking weed got really boring. Or maybe it didn't, I don't know. But that's that same craving, that same like, oh, I want this to feel like that did. I want this pleasantness, I want this, and you see in real time, oh, that craving for pleasure is the cause of my suffering because pleasure is impermanent and craving is repetitive. So it's mindfulness that shows us that and takes it out of the, yep, I read it in the book. The cause of suffering is repetitive craving and seeing it in your own mind, seeing it in real time. Here I am sitting here craving. Here I am sitting here resisting what's happening, aversion, craving, the causes of suffering right here, right now, with awareness, non-judgmental awareness. Impermanence um, is the liberating insight that is revealed in the body and the heart and the mind. And it's connected with the second um, liberating insight. There's three of them that mindfulness lead to. And the second one, when we really start to get 
impermanence, really understand it and accept it and start to live a bit more in harmony with the little, you know, non less, less attachment, non-attachment. It also wakes us up to um, the fact that even the most pleasant experiences aren't very satisfactory because they're impermanent. So sometimes this um, is referred to as the unsatisfactory nature of all conditioned phenomena. We start to see that, like no matter how good my meditation is, pleasant and insightful, uh, it, it's not like that meditative phenomena isn't satisfactory for ever, it's just for that moment. It's impermanent, that meditation's gone. Now I'm back to identification with my self-centered fear, worrying, craving, judging, comparing. The unsatisfactory nature of, of all things, impermanent, unsatisfactory. As long as we're looking for satisfaction, in a sense pleasure or a material thing or, or even in a meditative phenomena. Even looking for like a spiritual satisfaction. If I could just be really, really good at meditation, that'll be the source of my satisfaction. And that actually the insight that comes is that it's not about what happens, even on the meditation cushion or even in it's about how I relate to it and my understanding that it's impermanent and some meditations are going to be incredibly interesting, incredibly insightful, and you might experience all kinds of cool, weird liberation states in meditation, but they're all impermanent and therefore not so satisfactory in the long run because it's gone. Now it does start to shift our, one of the ways that this is talked about is that there's a progression, the progress of insight or uh, the gradual awakening. And there is something about having those meditative awarenesses that does start to shift our, uh, the lens we see ourselves through and we see the world through. So I don't wanna, be too dismissive of meditative phenomena. They're part of the process, but also they're a part of way that meditators can often create suffering for ourselves. We get attached to them. We want it to always be that way rather than accepting sometimes really, really cool, interesting, insightful, sometimes just feeling the breath coming and going the whole fucking time, <laughs> right? Sometimes just watching the mind be chaotic and, and critical and judgmental and afraid the whole time and not much tranquility and not much joy and not much pleasant experience. Unsatisfactory through our meditative awareness, directly experiencing it, seeing it in your own heart, your own mind, your own body here and now. Another way that that's talked about and experienced is we wake up to the unreliable nature because everything's impermanent. There's this 
human craving, part of the second noble truth, which is we want security. We want to be able to rely. We want to feel safe, right? You want to feel safe. You want to feel secure. You want to feel uh, sort of solid, sort of. Um, but we start to wake up. Actually, since everything's impermanent, it's hard to really truly have any lasting uh, reliability, long-term safety, long-term security. We just have this moment here. In this moment, safe. This moment, secure. <laughs> this moment. But as far as long-term reliability, all things are unreliable or uncertain. We want to feel grounded. But the more you wake up to impermanence, the more you wake up to groundlessness. which can be uh, disturbing and disorienting. And um, it's one of the reasons why Buddhism is considered, uh, you know, counter to our human instincts, because our instincts are, I want to feel grounded and I want to feel safe and solid. And, and the Buddha saying, well, pay close attention and you'll feel completely groundless <laughs> and insecure and... And it'll be a little bit scary in the beginning. There's that saying that I think comes from a Tibetan teacher. They said that at some point in your meditative practice, you'll feel like you've just jumped out of an airplane, like you're um, skydiving. Like you're just fucking, I don't know how many of you have gone skydiving, but it's pretty exhilarating. And that at some point you'll realize, fuck, I don't have a parachute. Ever had that dream before? <laughs> Just free falling, groundless. But that at some point you realize, yep, I'm, I'm, you know, free falling. But actually they're, I said it already, groundless. There's no ground. The only time, you know, jumping out of a plane without a parachute is dangerous is if there's something solid to splat against. And the way that this teacher was saying is that you wake up to the groundless nature, the unreliable, unsatisfactory, uh, insecure nature of things. And it, if you totally accept that, because you know the impermanent nature, and you say, okay, there's no, nothing to, to bounce against, which is connected with the third liberating insight of mindfulness, which is the um, lack of a solid, separate, continuous self. So that um, self that we think is falling and that uh, ground that we think is solid, we start to unpack it and we start to see there's nobody to splat. There's no, this I, me, mine, self-centeredness that we all have, not your fault. Like we're all self-centered. <laughs> Part of incarnation is a survival instinct and a nervous system and a mind that creates a self and thinks I, me, mine all of the time. So 
It's not an insult to just be like, you're self-centered. Everyone is self-centered. Everyone is attached to this idea that there's some sort of solid, continuous, separate self. And without a deep meditative investigation, we go through our whole lives taking just about everything personal. Have you noticed? We live with this mind that thinks about itself and thinks everyone else is thinking about us and comparing and judging and just wanting to fit in and be loved and be secure and be connected. And, and the more we practice mindfulness, I think in some practical ways, one of the ways that that started to make sense to me is, you know, when we open to that third foundation of mindfulness, you start watching your mind, observing, be mindful of how the thoughts are arising and passing. And you start to see, oh, they're impermanent. Every thought that arises passes. There's a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it has a pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral feeling tone, whatever comes into my mind, experienced in those second foundation feeling tones, impermanence. There's a tendency for the mind to proliferate. But there's also this uh, awareness that comes around how self-centered the mind is and about how it, it thinks all by itself. And then we take it so personal, but the more you meditate and the more you observe your mind, the more you see it's not that personal. Like, yes, I'm, this is my awareness of my thoughts, but I'm not actually intentionally thinking any of this shit. I'm just trying to be present here. And my mind has a mind of its own. I'm actually kind of trying to pay attention to my breath and my mind keeps planning. I'm trying to just feel my body sitting here and soften my belly. And my mind keeps resenting, judging, fearing. And I take it so personal. When we start to mindfulness starts to reveal that like, oh, this isn't that personal. This is just the human condition. It's also one of the functions of Sangha of coming and hearing the Dharma talk and talking to each other and waking up to like, oh, you're like that too. We're all like this. It's one of the wonderful things about Buddhism is that it normalizes the human condition rather than saying like, oh, you're just neurotic and you're, you know, a sinner or you're, you know, of just like, oh yeah, this is, this is the human condition, self-centered, craving, aversion, attachment, unhappiness, universal truth about humanity rather than personal. So one of the functions of seeing that and meditating in the body, have you had this experience yet where you're like, well, I don't take my breath that personal. My body just breathes all by itself. Do you feel like you're the breather? I am breathing in now. I am breathing out now. I'm having a shallow breath. I'm having a deep breath. I'm holding my breath. So you, are you identified with being the breather? 
or kind of the more you meditate, you relax, and you're like, my body breathes all by itself. All I got to do is sit here and watch. Awareness receives the breath coming and going. I'm not. It's autonomic, you know that term? Automatic. The body breathes all by itself. Likewise, mindfulness of uh, uh, about our relationship to our uh, digestive system. So you kind of like, I ate food and now I am digesting. Pretty soon I'm going to shit. And that's me. I am going to do that. I'm in there. I'm digesting. Fucking okay. Enzymes, get, do your thing. All right, now done. All right, now let's poop. I'm going to eat some more. Me eating, me stomach digesting. There's a way in which we all kind of like, yeah, that's just what the body does. It digests, it breathes, or the heart beating. Do you take your heartbeat personal? I'm really beating my heart 60 times a minute or whatever the normal heartbeat is. Or your temperature. I'm right now, I'm regulating my temperature. I'm 98.5. There's all of these things that. We know the body just does all by themselves. But that's true about our minds too, but we forget. We don't realize that just as the lungs breathe all by themselves and the heart beats all by itself, the mind thinks all by itself. It's not who we are, but we take it so fucking personally. And if we obey it, right? It's not... You know, if the mind was really wise and compassionate and loving, it wouldn't be a problem. But unfortunately, we have this survival instinct, fight, flight, fawn, craving, aversion that is fueling most of our thoughts. And we believe them, they're going to get us into all kinds of troubling, all, all kinds of trouble, all kinds of suffering. Troubling, trouble and suffering. The mind is troubling. I talked a couple of weeks ago about uh, the importance of developing that discernment of what thoughts are wise and what thoughts are confused or ignorant and, and seeing uh, clearly through mindfulness. We have to develop that awareness of the impermanent, the impersonal, the unreliable, the unsatisfactory, and develop that discernment and be like, kindness and compassion, those are reliable thoughts. When your mind is telling you to let go, that's a trustworthy thought. When your mind is telling you to cling, to suffer, that is ignorance arising in the mind. And mindfulness gives us some choice. Am I going to obey this or not? Am I going to choose to not identify? There was a helpful, is it acronym when you do the letters? that was going around some years ago that I, I found helpful in my own practice. And most of you've probably heard it, but I'll share it with you anyways. And it was uh, uh, mindfulness as rain, R-A-I-N. That, you know, the kind of one way to look at what we're doing. R, recognize. Recognize what's happening. Become mindful. Recognize right now it's like this. These sensations, these emotions, these thoughts. Recognize this is planning. This is remembering. This is fantasy. This is fear. This is love. This is anger. Recognize. Name it. Recognize it. 
um, accept it, right? Because often we recognize and we reject. Accept, right? This is, this is anger. <laughs> anger feels like this. This is joy. Accept joy. The eye is investigated. Where, how do I feel it in my, where is it in my body? When you're in an afflictive emotion. What's happening in my belly? What's happening in my jaw? What's happening in behind my knees? What are the thoughts associated with it? The fears, the plans, the fantasies of revenge, whatever the mind is doing, investigating. The catastrophizing. Ah, oh, the mind is catastrophizing. Recognize, accept, investigate. And the N is non-identify, especially when you have recognized that it's an unwholesome, afflictive emotion. Then realize not self, not, I'm not fear. Fear is present. That's not for me to identify with as who I am. Just the mind being afraid, just the mind being angry, just the amygdala being triggered into fight or flight not self, not who we are, not personal, not your fault. So we practice mindfulness to get free and freedom comes from understanding the truth of impermanence and then letting go. Everything's impermanent, clinging makes everything worse. <laughs> Nothing better. Recognize, accept, investigate, let go. We see our relationship to pain, uh, the impermanent pains and our, our tendency to not be very good at, at tolerating. And, and we incline our heart to have compassion and acceptance towards pain. We learn to be compassionate, to be merciful. Mindfulness teaches us that in real time application. And we stop think, taking things so personal by seeing that the mind has a mind of its own and this mind creates a self and, and it's not very sturdy under investigation. The more that we look and we even like, who am I? What, what part of this self ego identification is me? There's consciousness here. There's memories. There's feeling tone, pleasant, unpleasant memories. There's perception. But where's the self when you're meditating? Who is the meditator? It's my friend Eben's birthday tonight. And I joked with him at the beginning of class. I said, well, who was born? <laughs> Buddhist, stupid Buddhist humor. In a simple way, I think, you know, sometimes the anatta, not self teachings can become a little confusing, but the practical way that I 
try to roll with it and i've seen people benefit a lot is just the kind of don't don't take it so personal your mind it has a mind of its own it's not your fault but you got to live with it and um we try not to be so self-centered try to have that bigger view of like this is just the human condition there's a shift that will happen from i me mine to the rather than my mind i am experiencing these difficulties these and a, a, a depersonalizing that will happen in your practice where you say the mind is you start to understand it as the human mind rather than me my mind on a relative level it's yes it's your fucking mind but it's just the human condition fear anger craving worry it's not your fault that you're (laughs) self-centered right it's not my fault that i'm self-centered but it is my responsibility through this mindful investigation to learn to not take self-centeredness so personally not to be so identified with it to free ourselves this is the potential this is the process the function of mindfulness is freedom and it doesn't stop the mind and it doesn't get rid of pain and it doesn't get rid of pleasure but it's an intervention on how personal we take things and how we learn to let go and respond with compassion. Three skills, that's all we need. Non-attachment, mindfulness leads to non-attachment. Compassion for pain rather than aversion. Mindfulness leads to compassion by sitting here in our pain, becoming more tolerant, becoming more kind towards our pain. And not taking it all so personal, not self. That discernment, oh, well, this is a, a wise enough thought to contemplate. Oh, this is a totally ignorant thought. I should set that aside. I should not indulge in my worries, in my doubts, in my fears, in my cravings, not to be trusted. few minutes for questions. Those are my thoughts about what we're doing. Some of them, some of my thoughts. Any questions or comments or clarifications before we end tonight? If you have a question at home, you can raise your hand in the reactions bar at the bottom. Yeah, Ryan. Has it been your experience that like, I feel like my mind doesn't want to be found out that it's a mind. Like it just wants to run the show, and when I, I have mindfulness and I question it, it throws up this smoke screen. Like, no, I'm fucking real, motherfucker. Yeah, trust me. Yeah, even though I'm like having the wisdom to like separate myself from it sometimes. Hundred <laughs> percent. It's um, what Mara, you know, in Buddhism, what Mara is. It's um, natural, normal part of the process for the ego self to uh, resist seeing its own um, unsubstantiality, insubstantiality. 
I, you've probably heard me before talk about like um, the Wizard of Oz uh, as part of like a, a good analogy, like that kind of spiritual journey of, of the Wizard of Oz of Toto and, and um, Dorothy and the crew. And the wizard, you know, is about to get found out. And, you know, we kind of pull the curtain back on the scared little person back there pushing the buttons. It's the ego self. And we all have that. And, and you know, the, the wizard, the Mara, the, you know, is going to do everything in its power. Like the poppy fields, put them to sleep. Send the flying monkeys in. You know, like, fucking, what do we got to do to shut down this process of discovery that will take away the power of the ego self, the survival instinct, right? It's not that there's some evil wizard in our brain. It's the amygdala that says, no, you need to live in fear. You won't be safe if you don't have a self-centered fear-based existence. It's wrong, right? We're living with that kind of ancestral, you might get eaten by a tiger on the savanna or whatever, and it's like, actually, now I'm, I'm relatively safe. And yes, I need to be conscious that I don't, you know, walk in traffic or whatever, but I don't have to constantly be afraid and self-centered. It's totally safe to be at ease and compassionate and not believe all of the thoughts that arise in our minds. I mean, what percentage of your thoughts are trustworthy? We'll end there tonight. Just reflect as a reflection. What percentage of your thoughts are actually wisdom? And the more you meditate, hopefully, you know, you go from like, well, 0% to 5% to 10% to 50%, you know, like at some point you'll see there's more wisdom arising in my mind than ignorance. In the beginning, mostly ignorance for most of us. But then more love, more joy, more wisdom comes from the meditative experience. We'll leave it there tonight. Um, donations, classes done by donation against the stream needs your support. Uh, nobody's paying for this but us, but you. So be as generous as you can. Um, we have a uh, you know, few thousand dollars a month overhead. They're just the rent on the room is 3,500 a month. So the 20, 30, 40, whatever dollars that you can donate, uh, pay the expenses around here. So be as generous as you can be to help us sustain having a, a meditation center. If you're at home, there's a link there in the um, chat bar where you can go to the donations. Um, if you can become a monthly supporter, if you feel inspired and you want to help support what I'm doing here and this place existing, uh, some people say, I, I want to give $50 a month or $100 a month to just support the center. So please consider becoming a monthly donor. Um, one of the best ways to deepen insight through mindfulness is to come on retreat. The next Against the Stream retreat opportunity is going to be a 10-day retreat uh, in Portugal in March. And um, we're going to put up registration for this 10-day Portugal retreat soon. I think in the next week or so, I'm going to get registration. I'm co-teaching it with uh, uh, one of my colleagues, Jason Sif, who's a very interesting teacher, uh, was a Buddhist monk for some years, and, um, 
and it's gonna be quite affordable. You know, you think, oh, Portugal, I got to fly to Europe, but the whole retreat's only going to cost about 600 bucks. So flying over there and back and spending 600 bucks uh, is going to be about the same as most retreats in the States, which for a 10 day would be at least a thousand dollars or over a thousand dollars. I think if you go up to Spirit Rock or something like that, you pay about two grand for a 10 day these days, a couple hundred dollars a night. So um, we're going to do it for cheap in Portugal. And so some of you maybe will come and we'll get that, get that registration up soon. And then you get to meditate in Portugal and not see Portugal while you're meditating. <laughs> it's awesome. That's the one problem with like going to a cool exotic place for a meditation retreat. You're like just in a retreat center the whole time. Oh, lastly, another way to support against the stream there's three new pieces of merch and dice. This against the stream t-shirt. Mike Giant created all three of these. There's a new meditate and destroy t-shirt. And there's a new Dharma punks hoodie with cool uh, Dharma wheels on the sleeve. Mike Giant's a friend uh, of mine, an artist. He's created a bunch of the, um, logos for my books and a bunch of our t-shirts over the years. I'm very sorry at home to even show it to you because my mom who does our merch is coming on the retreat and um, you guys can't have it for two more weeks because she doesn't want to get behind on the orders because she's going on retreat. So at home mail order, they'll be available in two weeks after she gets back from retreat. You here in person tonight, can pick up a shirt. The shirts are, uh, or the sweatshirt, the shirts are 25, the uh, sweatshirts are 50 bucks. And um, all of that money goes to support against the stream. So consider picking one up and being the coolest Dharma punk on your block. <laughs> the new, new spiritual materialism. No, where is the uh, in-person happening? Is it, are you in San Francisco or LA? LA, Venice. Okay, thanks. Welcome. Many goodness that comes from our practice be gathered and shared outward in all directions with all living beings. May each one of us get as free as possible and together may we create a positive change on this planet. Good to see everybody. Um, see you in a couple of weeks when I get back from retreat. Someone will be here to teach next week. I'm not sure who. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.